Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church this morning. As you can see, I have decided just to, ch to change the background a little bit to a more natural backdrop out here in the garden. And it's lovely these last few weeks being able to hear the birds. And I know that I've been talking to many of you on the phone. We've just been commenting how we've never heard the birds singing so much. So it's lovely out here and I hope that as I lead in worship this morning, you can hear the birds and not too much traffic on the road or anything else. We're all doing well as a family. I hope you and your families and your loved ones are keeping well uh, as well. We're into another month and I know that comes with its own difficulties of ongoing emotional and physical and relational strain. But here we are to worship. And I hope that as you hear this service, the news is getting better of an easing of lockdown, but also the wisdom that we need to live carefully in this time. Just a few announcements. I just want to thank you for your support over these last few weeks, particularly for Balamoney Cap, Christians Against Poverty, and the money and the donations that, that went just to help with some of the um, meat purchases for those who are short of food also for the Balamoney Food Bank as well. I've got a lot of food that you've given as well. I, I'll probably put a, face, a photograph up on Facebook just to acknowledge the generosity of you as a congregation and so thank you for that. I know these are challenging times for many families, uh, for the health of our community and for also for the basic necessities of food and so we are delighted to help in any way we can. We used to have an evening service once a month, Cafe Church, which was more relaxed. And uh, we're going to have one next Sunday night. We're going to do it by Zoom. And if you're not sure what Zoom is, it's something that you would put on your phone as an app. And details in the next week will be given about how to log into that. But um, you'll have your coffee and your biscuits. And uh, we'll, we'll see uh, which home has the, the best coffee and everything for it. Mm. Mine's getting a bit cold out here, but um, what we miss out with these recorded services is some kind of live community event. So next Sunday night, we'll all be in together and there'll be a, a programme. Uh, you'll not be asked to do anything. You won't, don't be worry in case you think that because you're on, something's going to happen. You'll be able to follow us and different members of the congregation will be taking part. This weekend is also 75 years since victory in Europe. And we had plans for celebrating and remembering this time. But as you see in the prayer sheet on Thursday that went out, we still remember those who 75 years ago on Victory in Europe gave their today for our tomorrow. The Victory in the Pacific was still some time away. And so for those soldiers, life went on and there will probably be an occasion to mark that victory occasion later as well. But today we just want to mark peace. Thank. Uh, the Lord for the peace that we have lived in these last 75 years and to mark his goodness to us today. And so as we come to worship, here are some verses from Psalm 145 as we worship our great God. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, 
he has compassion on all he has made. So let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we join together as your worshippers this morning with these words that have echoed down through our history in proclaiming your goodness today. All our lives you have been faithful. All our lives you have been caring and listening, helping and guiding us. Thank you, Lord. We worship you today for the life that you've given to us and those that share it with us. Forgive us, Lord, for not honouring you with the devotion and kingdom-mindedness you call us to. But we want to follow you because we know that there is true freedom for us as human beings. So, Lord, speak to all our hearts today as we focus our eyes on you. Send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to your word in praise of you that we may declare by our own living and lives your greatness in all the earth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfil to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We've been singing about the goodness of God, and now we come to Jesus' words, which is telling us how the goodness of God reigns in our lives. And so Debbie read to us these words from Matthew chapter 5. We come to this section on oaths. Let me just put these words into the, in the context of what is happening here. You'll see from this diagram that the section has begun with Jesus' words in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus has given six illustrations of how our righteousness will surpass that of the, the religious leaders of the day. So we come to these words, in, uh, these words in verse 33, where Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Now, again, is a structural marker, a literary marker in the text here. And it's coming halfway. This is the fourth one. So this is the second half. Um, of these six examples. Interestingly also, the words repeat exactly what was started in the first one, in verse 21, where they both add to the people long ago, which the ones after that don't follow. So it seems that these six are divided into two halves. The first half is the first three, and obviously the second half is the four, five, and six, the last three. It's interesting that both halves are almost exactly the same number of words in Greek, and that the first half, uh, the the first illustrations one, two, and three, um, are mostly taken from Deuteronomy, and then the oaths uh, and the, of this beginning the second half and of the last three, uh, love your enemies and the eye for eye, are almost taken exclusively taken from Leviticus. So there seems to be a, a literary balance here between the two. And then in verse 48, Jesus closes with these words, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so the opening statement, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the closing statement, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, seems to sandwich 
these six examples in a literary form in two halves in between. So there's a fascinating structure here um, for people to remember and to hear what is going on here. So we come to these words about oaths. Why is it wrong to tell a lie? It's wrong to tell a, a lie for the same reason that it's wrong to breathe underwater. The reason it's wrong to, wrong to breathe underwater is because it doesn't work. It doesn't work because there's a law of design built into us as human beings. And our lungs were not built to breathe underwater. And if we try and break the law, it will destroy us. And the reason we're not supposed to tell a lie is the same reason we're not supposed to breathe underwater. We were not designed to lie. And if we try to lie, it will destroy us. We were designed for truth. And so as we enter what Jesus' words here are about oaths and truthfulness, I want to ask three questions uh, about what, is, what Jesus is teaching us today. And the first is all about truthfulness, answering the question, firstly, what it means to believe in God. Secondly, what it means to be human. And thirdly, what it means to love Jesus. So first of all, truthfulness answers the question of what it means to believe in God. Here we go back to an era before people signed written contracts. So if you were buying some land or making a purchase or making some kind of agreement, how would you prove to somebody that you would be a person of your word? You kept an oath. And as part of the oath, you would invoke the God that you worshipped. And maybe you ended with some kind of line like, may my God strike me ill or dead if this is not true. Um, people believe that your God, the deity you worshipped, knows whether what you're saying is true or not. And that if you're lying, the deity will punish you for taking the deity's name in vain. So that's the first thing about oaths. Uh, it's not a contract. You, you invoke the name of the God that you worshipped. The second thing in the ancient time was oaths were an observed word. Lots of people would hear you say it. It was a very public thing. And as a result, your community and others are watching you to make sure that you will be true to your word. So you imagine that in the Israelite community, there are laws about vows and oaths because that's a fundamental part of community life. So in Numbers chapter 30, we have a whole chapter on vows as part of community laws. And so we read these words, when Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So oaths are fundamental to the nature of human relationships and they are permitted not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. So it's important to know that Jesus is not um, saying that we shouldn't take oaths. Um, in, in the Bible, oaths were to prove, not to prove truthfulness, but to make truthfulness more solemn. So we have this lovely verse in Hebrews 6 verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Oaths, from God's perspective, were to make truthfulness more sacred. 
But what we start to encounter through the rest of the Israelite history up to Jesus' time is the abuse of oaths. People wanted to get out of the oaths that they had made. Uh, they did not want to be held accountable. And so they tried to think of other ways to make an oath without promising to God himself. And uh, so sometimes they would omit God's name, but then nobody would take them seriously with their oath because they did not invoke the name of their God. So then they tried to distance themselves from God by saying something else that was part of God. They might say, heaven is my witness, or earth is my witness, or I swear by Jerusalem. One rabbi taught that if one swore by Jerusalem, you're not bound to your oath, but if one swore, swore to Jerusalem, it was binding, presumably because the direction you were looking in was where the divine presence was in the temple in Jerusalem. Or somebody might swear by the hair on their head. That way, if you accidentally told an untruth, the judgment, judgment wouldn't be so bad. You might just go bald, or you might your hair might go white uh, at a younger age. Most people in Jesus' audience had black hair that would turn white with aging. What's happening is that people in, by Jesus' time are making oaths almost with their fingers crossed at the same time. It's like in our day when you, you sign a contract and hidden in the small print uh, is a is in a place that you're not supposed to read is the get out clause so that if you ever have to want to claim the policy they can point to a, a clause that that um, doesn't allow you to claim back to Jesus all these ways of getting avoiding oaths is a means of lying and deceiving others and he's against that so on this mountainside that he's teaching his disciples about what it means to be in the kingdom he is telling them to rise above these kinds of uses of words and that's why he is saying, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. Keep your oath that you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head. We cannot even make one hair white or black. So Jesus is not against oaths here. He's not saying you can't stand up in a court of law before a judge and take an oath that you're going to swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The Bible allows for solemn promises to be made. What Jesus is teaching us here is actually something quite opposite. He is saying that if you're a person who, can, who thinks they can separate and create levels of truthfulness, you're wrong. If you think I have to be truthful when I'm using these particular words, but I don't have to be truthful if I'm using these other words. He says, you're wrong. If you think crossing your fingers behind your back means that your promise isn't binding, you're deceiving people and you're a liar. And Jesus challenges this by relating every oath that people make at his time to God. He says, if you swear by the heavens, that's God's throne. It's God's heaven. If you swear by the earth, that's God's footstool. It's God's earth. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. He owns everything. So you can't get away from making your oath in the presence of God. Therefore, he's saying no promise that you make is trivial. No oath can be justifiably avoided because God is observing everything. So just let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
just as if you swore on a whole stack of Bibles on national television, because God is always watching you. Imagine that tomorrow a camera is going to follow you wherever you go and is going to record absolutely everything that you say and do. And then on Monday night, it's going to be played after the six o'clock news to the whole country. Would it make a difference then to how you spoke tomorrow? Would it make a difference if you knew you were being completely observed and that is going to be played for everyone to see? That's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. You can't get away from God. It's his town. It's his heaven. It's his earth. He's everywhere. We are always before the face of God. And what he thinks of us matters more than what 20 million people might think uh, of us watching us on national television. That's why Jesus ends by saying that our every yes and every no is an oath observed before him. Therefore, truthfulness answers the question what it means to believe in God. If you believe in a God that is here beside you now, watching you, listening to you, sharing your life, then everything that you say, you speak before his presence. Therefore, truthfulness becomes part of every aspect of our lives. Before I go on to the second point, I just want to answer one question that you may be having on this question, and that is, can you ever break a promise? And you can. You can break a promise if the promise you made leads you into sin. A great example is when uh, Salome danced before King Herod and he's so delighted that he says to her, I will give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. Salome says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And Herod must have, his heart must have sunk and thought, oh dear. But he goes ahead and gives her what he has promised because it shows you how incredibly important promises were in the ancient world. But he shouldn't have done it because his promises are made in the light of the character of God who is watching. And that should be his first priority to the character of God rather than the promise he made. And so I think you can break a promise if it goes against the character of the God who is watching you. Our truthfulness answers the question what it means to believe in God. Secondly, it answers the question what it means to be human. We live in a very unpredictable world. We know this now with this COVID-19 epidemic that is a global virus and the havoc and the pain that it is inflicting on so many people. But we've always known that the world is unpredictable. We just don't know what lies ahead of us. The theologian Lewis Smedes wrote an essay in which he said, the only way to overcome the unpredictability of your future is the power of promising. He says, when you make a promise, you're making an appointment with yourself in the future. He says, animals don't do that. Animals respond to every situation by instinct. And then he says, we live in a world where people do not want to make commitments because they want to live by their feelings or by their moods. They live by what they, by what they want to do. They say, 
if you're really going to be true, if you're really going to be happy, you have to be free from obligations. If you have one life to live and you want to be happy in it, the most important thing is to find what makes you happy and to do that. But according to Lewis Smedes, you're not being human anymore. You're being an animal pushed around by your emotions. You're like an animal in its uncertain future. Whereas if you make a promise, you know what you're going to do next week, or two weeks from now, or two years from now, or 10 years from now. You're going to be at a place because you promised. You're going to be for this person because you promised. You're going to be true to this commitment because you promised. Lewis Smead says that when you make a promise, you call the world to witness that you're not an animal pushed about by your feelings, by your moods, by your instincts, by your glands. When you make a promise, you show yourself to be a human being because you are saying, I will make a commitment and I will stick by it. Nothing else in the whole animal world lives like this. He says, when you actually make those promises and stay true to those promises and true to those commitments, you become more a human being that God made you for. And that's why I say truth keeping is foundational to what it means to be a human. If you put your faith in someone or something, it is to make a commitment and to follow through on it and to keep it regardless of how you feel. Are you a Christian because you feel empty? What happens when someone feel, fills your emptiness? Do you not need Christ anymore? Are you a Christian because you need God's presence in this moment? What happens if you don't feel God's presence or he's not answering the prayers the way you want it? Do you give up on faith? Truth commitment, truth keeping commitment is not about our feelings or our needs. It's about our faith in the future, God's future. Just as promises in marriage will bring a couple through those times when they don't feel as close, so our faith in God will bring us through those days when there are tears and there are many questions. As the disciples stood at the foot of the cross, they thought that Jesus had been defeated. They felt fearful. They did not realize it was his greatest victory. When the disciples walked three days later with Jesus along the Emmaus Road, they did not realize it was Jesus. They felt despondent and sad because they did not realize who was walking beside them. The truth of the situation was not being determined by their feelings. Feelings are not the gauge to determine in this life truth or our happiness. God is what he has done and what he is doing and truth keeping is our way to show that we are people made in his image and not like the rest of creation. That's why truthfulness answers the question what it means to be a human being. And finally, truthfulness answers the question what it means to love Jesus. Why do people lie? Well, for children, it's because they want the world to be their way and not as it really is. And as we get older, we can develop two uh, needs because of this longing for the world to be our way. Some of us are approval people. We want to feel good about ourselves. Our self-image is rooted in the idea that people like us. 
and we fear that by telling the truth people will not like us or get mad at us and so to be people pleasers so that they will like us we lie some of us are control people we need to keep control because the superiority the power makes us feel good about ourselves our self-worth is rooted in the fact that we are over others and so to tell the truth may cause us to lose power and be at a disadvantage approval people don't mind being at a disadvantage as long as people like them control people don't mind not being liked as long as they're in control but both types of people lie because there is a price to pay for their self-worth by telling the truth and they aren't prepared to pay the price but if we are people who have fallen to our knees because of Jesus love for us and he is Lord of our lives and this creation and history then his love brings us to our place brings us to a place where our self-image is not rooted in what others think of us but is rooted in his love for us and his lordship brings us to a place where our self-image is not rooted in our superiority over our, over others but in his loving care for us and this is the disciples journey into humility as you grow in those blesseds at the beginning of the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount they are heart characteristics that will outlive themselves in every situation and those are those blesseds are um, heart characteristics that teach us how to be truthful and not be uh, people pleasers or seek approval of others or to be control freaks but to people who give ourselves to others to, and who are, are caught up in the love of Jesus has for us. So truthfulness answers the question for all of us today what it means to believe in God. He's a God of truth and we are to be people of truth and he's everywhere and we thank him for his presence at all time therefore our words reflect an awareness of his presence with us. Truthfulness answers the question what it means to be human. Um, when we when we make a promise we are making appointment uh, in the future truth keeping makes us truly human and God is the the great truth keeper the promise keeper and we rejoice in him and therefore we know our future is caught up in what he is planning to do and we rejoice in that and finally truthfulness answers the question what it means to love Jesus Jesus love determines our self-worth more than anything else so truthfulness is what we all are about because we worship a God of truth we're people of truth and we're not afraid of uh, we don't need to lie because we're not it's not about us it's about God and the world that we live in and the humanity that he has built into us to be truthful people so let us pray Oh Lord our God we have gathered today as your family we pause to realize who it is we are talking to as the creator of this creation and the Lord of all history Lord you are to be praised in our lives you're to be honored in the world you have made and we know that one day your presence will complete this world again and as we watch for that day we pray that your will will be done in our lives Thank you, Lord, that you provide what we need on a daily basis. We pray that we would be generous and be the kind of people 
who emulate your character in the way that we forgive others, but also in the way that our words carry truth in our community. Lord, we pray that whatever cares or concerns, whatever problems, whatever has been going on in our lives, help us to put them in the context of your great love for us in Jesus, our Redeemer, our Saviour and our coming King today. For we pray in Jesus' name.